0: What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is John here as always. And here, I have an update. Remember last episode where I mentioned that I want to send my microphone back for warranty. Hopefully they can get me a new one. It seems that the supplier in which I got the microphone from, he tested the microphone and it just seemed to be working on his side. Afterwards, I went over to try it out. On my own computer and it seems to work well I even brought it back home to try it once again and it just seems to work and then all of a sudden a couple of days pass and as I was about to record this week's episode which by the way is a super special episode because we're gonna talk about the brand new patch you know every time I mention a brand new patch it just seems like deja vu like I've mentioned it more than once, twice, five seven, eight times before the patches just seem to come almost every two weeks heck, maybe there's even a new patch every week if I lost count and if I remember there was no 1.9 patch right or was it a very small patch that it just went unnoticed yeah because the most the most major patch that happened was patch 1.8 which totally saw the fade off of a lot of meta decks which brought about a new change called the mountain and the meta sort of changed forever so now with patch 1.10 there are a lot of things that I would like to cover so let me just get back to the microphone update so after a few days I went to test out my microphone it just doesn't seem to work again I even got a new USB cable I went to try it out it just doesn't seem to record even the computer that I tried out my laptop in which I usually bring to work in which I used to test at the, at the suppliers he has an office so I went there to try it on my laptop it works but then today when I tried it on my laptop on that specific laptop the one that could record it just doesn't seem to be able to record again. so I got kind of confused today when I tried to record today's episode and then I'm thinking it can't be that my computers are spoiled right? because if I were to try out because I tried it out on every single computer of mine I have around 3 to 4 of it So I even tried it on my own I tried it on my own siblings computers and it just doesn't seem to work as well. So I don't really know whether it's a driver issue or it's a microphone issue. But as of now, I actually listened to the playback of the audio last of my last episode, in which I recorded with my office mic. After a couple of editing using the Audacity software, the quality doesn't seem that bad. So in the long run, if nothing changes and if I don't plan of getting a new microphone because I highly doubt that my microphone has an issue and I do hope that it's a computer driver issue or there's something wrong with my computers but it can't be right because I have so many computers and all the microphone and the, and the Blue Yeti mic doesn't seem to work on every single one of my computer so I'm not very sure what's the biggest issue now is it the microphone's fault or is it my OS problem. So actually my main computer the one in which I'm using where I play most of my Legends of Terra Occasional Dora 2, League of Legends. It's really past the fire mark. So, what I did was I actually went shopping to take a look at computers, desktop, in which I'm going to replace as my main computer, henceforth. I do have plans. Actually, due to the pandemic, there were a lot of things that changed. I wasn't supposed to be staying in Singapore after this year, but it just seems that things. I would say. plans change. So it looks like I'll be in Singapore for the time being because the original plan for me was to move to the States or maybe even to Europe the One country in which I was targeting was Amsterdam because I was thinking of, you know, I'm still young I want to take a look at the world Because the thing about being a software engineer is that it's so easy to to actually relocate to another country because the skills are always in demand And for me, I would like to experience different cultures, get to see the world myself Not that I've... actually I've been to quite a few countries but US just seems to be the mecca for software engineering, unless you want to count in China I think China's pretty good But to me, I'm not very comfortable speaking Chinese So I would say I prefer being in the States So if any of you guys are working in the US, do tell me about how it's like Because I I do hear about the insane tax rate, especially along the Bay Area primarily Silicon Valley, where all the big tech companies are. That was actually the plan for me, was to move there this year. But it just seems that I'll be stuck here, so I went to get myself a new computer. Pretty good specs. I would say it's enough to run Legends from there. Do some video editing, some recording on the podcast. Otherwise, I would guess that the computer is... I would say it's like a major upgrade compared to what I have right now, because this computer that I'm using is a pretty old one. It's a HP Phoenix NV or something. My father bought it for me about five years ago. Yeah, that was when I was still in the I was still in the Air Force. Time flies, right? However, I'm not a very big guy when it comes to graphic cards and all the computer specs. In fact, I managed to use this computer for a good five years. And the graphic card is the 790 series, it's a very old one. It's by Nvidia, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, so if you guys know, I don't really play a lot of games. Primarily it's always Hearthstone and now Legends of Runeterra Artifact a bit and a bit of Dota 2 So I don't really use a very good computer So for me as I got the upgrade I was thinking hmm maybe we should try it out And then get something better you know Cause right now I have spending capacity earning power So let's see how it goes man Yeah I'm so very excited to have my new computer Which should be coming around next week I need to go shopping for a new monitor too Yeah I gotta take in consideration of those those monitors you know that come with the anti blue light or less blue light and then those with the IPS ability you know I don't really I'm not very a specs geek I don't really know much about computer hardware funny right I don't know what the software but because of the hardware I have no clue or what is a good spec in fact when I was talking to my colleagues about the motherboards issue those RAM SSD HDD I had no clue what I was looking for I sort of just Look at the specs and I just got an upgrade compared to what I have right now. I just pick everything and upgrade to one capacity up. So I'm looking at like a 16GB RAM, 512 SSD. I was thinking actually 1TB but I highly doubt that I'll ever reach 1TB after 5 years because I have various forms of storage. So yeah, that's sort of a rant. So hopefully if my new computer, my Blue Yeti just, I hope my Blue Yeti works on my new computer. If not, I'll be extremely sad. But to me, if I were to buy another microphone, I highly doubt I'll be moving back to Blue Yeti. I might be just looking at the sheer, or it Shure, or this Shure S H U R E. I see a couple of podcasters and even YouTubers that are using their mic for Blue Yeti. It just seems very disappointing. Doesn't work there. Maybe I can try it on another computer that I have. Yeah, but I just gonna if I were to buy another computer just to use that microphone, doesn't seem very worthwhile, right? So there will definitely be. In a time in which I might get another microphone but as of now I guess my office mic just seems to work maybe occasionally here and there I'll try out my Blue Yeti again because I've tried most of the help available online I even tried contacting Blue Yeti and just doesn't seem to most of the troubleshoot that they offered me I would say it's everything that I can find online and if it doesn't work then I sincerely hope there isn't my microphone as an issue because I tried returning back and the guy doesn't want to seem to return it to Blue Yeti to get a new one for me so that that kind of and the thing is that it works on his side. So if I were to bring it back again, and somehow it works again, you know what? You know how it feels like, right? Like I'm wasting his time. I'm also wasting my time. So I don't really know whether the microphone is an issue or what. So now enough with the microphone thing and the update on what I have. Right, essentially, I'm going to get a new desktop. Looking for a new monitor. Maybe even upgrade my own keyboard and mouse. Because here's a funny thing: I changed my keyboard almost every year because I do a lot of typing. I do a lot of uh. Even though even though I work. I type a lot of stuff documentation coding a lot of meeting minutes even doing a lot of design documentation my mouse just seems to okay my mouse is pretty good right now i'm using a logitech hero it's not a hero it's not a hero it's the mx518 it's supposed to be the very first gaming mice along with a hp keyboard so far my current setup is pretty pretty cheap pretty minimalist there's nothing much on my desk other than speaker in which I actually paid a good amount for my speaker is the Razer Razer something is it I'm not very sure I will butcher a lot of names but I just picked it because the audio quality is pretty good I want to test it out so enough with the hardware upgrades that I'm gonna have in the near future let's get on with the patch I'm pretty guys sure you guys are very excited about it because I locked on my computer take a look at the patch notes Think about certain things regarding the patch If I were to say, this patch is actually A lot of people I think is extremely huge Like you see the Ezreal nerfs and you think Oh my, Ezreal got hit so hard But let me be honest, I will say that the nerf of Ezreal is In the current application when you look at the meta Mid range, aggro, control, combo Most of the decks have remained the same Except that a couple of cards changed here and there The archetypes still remain the pure, the pure concept of how these decks are still the same, nothing has ever changed. In fact, nothing will ever change. It's just that there will be different champions and different strategies that will fill up the gaps. If one deck will fall off, another will come up. Like when I talk about Damasia, Mono Damasia was dominating everyone, and then now Scouts sort of replaced Damasia. Even Damasia Harrowing sort of fall off, and the Scouts has totally filled up the spot of what Damasia has left. So as you can see, even control deck combo decks, a certain combo deck can fall off and another will just rise up and take its place In fact when I will talk about Ezreal, I will say that the biggest hit is that Ezreal Twister Fate will not work as intended anymore The, the change in requirement from 8 targets to 10 That is huge But in the one deck in which it is played most often, I would I don't see much of a change at all So just let's just look through the patch 1.10 was it patch one point ten? I just call it patch one point ten or oh, patch one point one zero. Patch one point one zero balance changes. Let's look at the changes here. Yeah? So Ezreal will be changed. The level up condition will now be ten targets instead of eight. Let's look at Lee Sin. In fact, this Lee Sin, I'm not sure if it's a buff or is it a nerf. But if you don't ask me, I'll give you my honest opinion. I would say that. The changes to Lee Sin is definitely a buff, you are reducing the cost, because course we look at the meta feed now. Lee Sin is a combo deck, it's not a control deck, neither is it an aggro or mid range. I would label it as a combo deck, except that now it has, it has pretty good early game presence because you can drop it on turn 4 and it's stat line is pretty good, 3 attack, 4 health. And the ability to gain challenger and barrier. And there are not a lot of applications in which your opponent can deal with barrier at all. Because we look at a lot of the aggro decks, we look at a couple of mid-range decks. There's not a lot of ways in which they can break past the barrier, unless you're talking about make it rain and uh Valfies. But Valfe's is seldom played. The only way in which they can remove the barrier is through unspeakable horror. And the thing is that when you're facing against aggro and mid-range players, seldomly they'll save mana for your barriers, because to them their priority is establishing the board. So if I were to see Lee Sin, this is just my thoughts before I go super in-depth on what I think about the Lee Sin buff or nerf, I would say that Lee Sin will definitely see a place because of the reduced cost, because let's be honest, the 6 mana Lee Sin, personal take, it works better than the 4 mana one, Because when I look at Lee Sin, the power of it lies in the ability to deal with... Combo decks. No, not combo. Combo and control. Yeah, it it deals with combo and control incredibly well because we all know that combo decks, they usually have less than 3 creatures on the field and if they have more than 3, you're most likely going to lose anyway. It's always the Eye of the Dragon and then it has Karma Ezreal together on board but let's be honest, if Ezreal and Karma are on the board together, you're going to lose anyway. The same thing as for Asol because when Asol levels up, everything becomes 0 mana, so you can drop all your Celestial cards However, the only way that Lee Sin or Lee Sin strength is ability on its 1 to 1 exchange. It has the ability to close out the game by ensuring just on its own. Just one Lee Sin on board with a couple of spells in hand. If you have deny, even better. Way of Arena perfect. If you have multiple denies with Lee Sin on board and a couple of like burst spells and stuff, usually that's the optimal scenario in which Lee Sin is always. You know, when you face again Lee Sin, that's the optimal, like background isn't isn't a very nice word i'll say that's the optimal scenario let's call it scenario in which Lee Sin is played in which their hand size is incredibly huge they usually have one Lee Sin and probably another in hand and i would say that if they are able to keep the the ratio of one to one or even one to two Lee Sin is actually quite menacing because it can outright deal with anything because you challenger along with barrier then occasionally you run a couple of buffs like in the past you see a Noxious D scene, you give it uh overwhelm. It, is it called Mike? Yeah, they give it Mike, The one with the, the darius Darius uh the statue, the plus three, and then you give it uh overwhelm. And then when you tag it together, it leases level ability, which is the dragon strike, you're essentially doing like a one-turn kill. It's like fifteen-seventeen damage in one turn, depending on the attack of the unit in which you are kicking the nexus along with the overwhelm damage which is incredibly painful because when you kick the nexus, Lee Sin also does the overwhelm damage through the nexus so that's an OTK right there and there's not a lot of ways in which you can deal with it unless you have Wheel of Ironia which in the past was very common, that's why yeah, the reason why Wheel of Ironia was very common because you do have to factor in that Heimervai is a thing back in the past along with Ezreal Karma even Lux Karma can also be put together so all this Lee Sin doesn't seem to work but then if you look right now where leasing is being the cost is reduced to 4 mana and then they also change the champion spell instead of dragon's rage they change it to Sonic Wave. Which I believe is a some players might believe that because you reduce the mana cost and you also change the high cost champion spell to a low mana spell. Meaning that having double leasing in hand is a good it's a good thing because your other leasing transforms into a another sonic wave, it gives you the plus two spell buffs, they can gain challenger and barrier at the same turn. If I would think about it this way, I would say that it's a buff. But then, in terms of a standpoint in which Lee Sin is to be played in the meta after this change, after this patch goes live, it's not that great because when you look at against other mid range decks, you can't. The ideal scenario of Lee Sin is to deal with bots which are one to one or one to two, When you play against aggro or mid range, which is the way that Lee Sin will be played in the future. It's not that great because it can't possibly deal with. 3 to 4 creatures on the board. Easily talking about scouts, you know. Okay, I'll give you a scenario of scouts. Scouts will have probably four minions and you have a relentless pursuit in hand. You can drop this in it turn four, beat original turn six. And then you need to have additional spells, beat burst to actually ensure that it is very uh mobile isn't the word, always useful because if you remove the ability of Lee Sin, which is the gain challenger and barrier, it is almost as good as playing the- it's almost a slightly stronger Grizzle ranger, I said that Grizzle ranger is way stronger than Lee Sin, I might get flame for this but honestly grizzled ranger for a 4 drop is way better than Lee Sin, because Lee Sin requires at least 3 cards, itself, one spell and another, in order to be useful to get rid of one creature on your opponent's side. It's even better if it's able to level up, but then if you're doing a 4 mana and you increase the level up condition to 8 spells. It's incredibly hard for you to level up It possibly is as good as being a 6 mana drop because You'll only be able to Dragon Rage possibly on turn 5, turn 6, turn 7 Cause you think about it If you drop on turn 4, that means your earlier turns you're trying to save mana And that leaves you open to your opponents pers- Possibly playing Pirate ego or he's playing uh, Scouts He really developed the board And you'll need developing 1 Lee Sin. He can easily just bypass the listen with one challenger unit and all the rest hit face and that's about it. So after I give all you guys the points regarding this Lee Sin change, I don't think it is a buff. I would say it's a change in the right direction. Reducing the mana cost but also changing the stats, the level condition along with the champion spell. I will say that target leasing might see play. The reduced cost makes it incredibly good against control and combo decks, meaning that you is cheaper to summon. Its stats are a bit lower. Overall the strategy remains the same for Lee Sin. I would say it pairs very well with Tarik because they both have the same mana cost. But you're looking at it as both of them are four mana though. So they're kind of overlapping. So the only way in which this Lee, Lee, Tariq, Lee Sin is good is against control dex I would see it as a potential counter but especially right now. Oh by the way there will be the Ascent of Targon during this weekend. Unfortunately, I won't be playing because it's in a different time zone and it really eats into my schedule, so Initially, most tournaments are in the morning so I could play I actually, in fact, I only managed to play one tournament during the past season in which I placed top 3 and 4 slash 4 during Budu Sorontera which I believe is my best accomplishment for Laren Sorontera to date during the short 4 months in which I've been playing this game Was it 4 months? 5 months Oh it's September Yeah 5 months Oh time really flies Yeah So that's my best accomplishment to date I would say that I hardly doubt anybody will give up the Targon slot to Lee Sin next I believe the new patch will go live during the tournament And there's no way somebody will give up Targon slot for Lee Sin because A Soul is just too strong Wait sorry let me take this back A Soul is not just too strong A Soul is the best deck to come out of Targon Because Nightfall aggro is unreliable despite the buffs to Cygnus the Moonstalker which I believe is a good buff because the 4 mana the 4 attack 2 health is makes it very paper the effect is good though but you have to think about it that you need to have spell mana in order to make it effective or you need to have at least a 0 mana spell in your hand to make it worthwhile the buff to to make it a 5-3 it's a step in a good direction there are 2 cards in which got buffed first being the crack shot Corsair, and along with Jagged Taskmaster. I do see people running it in some Pirate Aggro, but as of right now the current pirate Aggro list is pretty optimized. And Jagged Taskmaster does doesn't seem to fit anywhere into the deck because you wouldn't want to have too many one-drops in your hand. Even though the deck you want to open the one-drops in your opening hand to deal with the you want to do compound damage to level up your gangplank or in your surge running as soon as possible. So, if you look at it, the Crack, sh- crack Shot Corsair and Jagged Taskmaster is a good buff. I can see it being a totally different line of Pirate Aggro. Like, so, right now, the Pirate Aggro or the Bilgewater, Bilgewater uh, Surgery deck, the list will still remain the same. It's a good buff. You'll definitely see more play or new plays in the future. And Overgrown Snapvine. Okay this is irrelevant because I don't think anybody will ever make a deck for that, otherwise it will just be a fun deck concept. And then we look at YOLO grifter, I have a lot to say regarding this card, I'll go into more detail later on, because let's be honest when we look at it right, the fact that you need to have allegiance to get a plus 2 makes it a very risk heavy card, no doubt it is a good 4 mana. 3-3 three, three drop on turn 4. But the main strength of it is being able to drop and then you gain warning shot. Meaning essentially that let's say you do not open warning shot or you don't even mulligan hard for warning shot. You can play it during your opponent's turn, when he's on turn five, to gain maybe your fifth charge. Your fifth turn onto Gangplank and then you drop it. And then on turn six you drop Sadrani. Meaning that your other gives you a free card to gain an additional charge for your Gangplank or Sejuani level up condition on your posing t- on the opponent's turn, or maybe during your own turn, you can open priority that. So that's the reason why your Order Greater is good. It also has the ability to gain Warning Shot, which gives it a free chance to get a free card, a free activator for Rig which is the strongest card of Huge Water. So now with the ability, now with the ability to not get even a Warning Shot, you need to Allegiance to get net one card and Warning Shot. It's a big nerf, it's super huge nerf. I would say that other Gifter is a win more card, so it's a nerf, but Bilge Water will still see play as tier 1. This nerf is a good nerf because other Gifter tends to go out of control. That's my two cents. I'll get more into it later. So, another card that has been nerfed is none other than War Chefs. This is a card in which it wasn't on my hit list, I never thought about it as being too overpowered, too strong. But if I were to look at it, the Marcia's dominance throughout the past 5 months of me playing this game, it just seems to everything revolves around War Chefs. Yeah? Without War Chefs, their turn 2 wouldn't be so strong. They wouldn't be able to snowball with Flight, Wing, Fletcher, and Am I getting it right? They won't be able to snowball their Citia into a 3 3 on turn 2 and they most possibly wouldn't be able to buff a lot of their cards into potentially snowballing kind of outcomes I never thought about Chef getting nerfed at all because I never once saw it as overpowered perhaps now that I see it being addressed it really got me thinking that most of the losses that I've had was because Chef is able to buff something out of control or maybe buff something into a zone in which I can't trade efficiently because we look at he yes, two mana, two three for pretty good effect of buffing its supported minion by one and one. That's why this is the Masya. and sometimes that plus one plus one is enough to soak up that one damage, so that when it reverses at the end of the turn, the creature that it's supporting or the champion that it is supporting will revert back to its original stats, meaning it won't take any damage at all. And along with the fact that they have rangers resolve, which I believe is a card that needs to be addressed, along with harsh. Well, how many times have I been mentioning Hush? The past two podcasts, past three episodes, I've been saying that Hush is so overpowered. In fact, when I'm when I'm running Targon decks and I have Hush, I somehow sort of feel very dirty, especially when I resolve it. You know my opponent really has the win, or they sort of have, have a way to mount a comeback, and I have Hush, and that's about it, man. They can't come back from that, it's impossible. Even though we are even, and there are some certain key cards that your opponent has, like Asol and other stuff, one Hush can easily shut down everything that they already plan, And that's the reason why Hush needs to get hit or shouldn't it even exist in the first place Purify is also the same thing, both Hush and Purify shouldn't exist in the game at all That's my two cents So this buff, or oh no this sorry, this nerf to War Chefs Wow well, I didn't expect this but This really got me thinking We have to really put things into perspective Yeah War Chefs definitely deserve to get hit it's a slow body card. it's something that is like a Trojan horse, you don't really know that it's that effective until I see it getting nerfed and I sort of have flashbacks of certain games, certain competitive experience and I sort of think that maybe War Chefs was the problem all along, not anything else. So good job Riot, I really like this nerf. Maybe you'll see Scout's win rate go lesser, but I kid you not. I say Scout's win rate will go lesser, but the play rate will still remain the same because Scouts is very good at one thing, winning games as soon as possible. Most of the games usually last 3-4 minutes depending on who you're facing. Of course we look in the meta now where a lot of players are running ram decks, which means that the challenger units has a free pass on attacking it. And let's say on an optimal turn in which it is your turn 6, possibly 7 mana for your opponent, there's not a lot of threats in which the... ASO deck can do. You drop Genevieve and you can sort of clear Wording Stones, you can clear their board, Nothing can match up to it. Yeah, and you're possibly putting your opponent back to 7 mana next turn again because he doesn't have wedding Stone above it. So that's why Scouts is incredibly strong in this meta. It punishes everything. If I think is there any weakness for the Masia or Scouts? Wow, that's a tough one though. I don't think there's any weakness that the deck has. Yeah, I don't think there's any weakness. So if you are still looking to gain to get master rank, I highly suggest playing scouts. It's a simple deck, serious strategy, if you know how to play the master, I guess you know how to play Scouts as well. The every other deck in the meta, be it Swing Twister Fate, I think Swing Twister Fate requires a little bit more skill because funny the th- funny thing about Swing Twister Fate is that a lot of people imagine it to be a very proactive deck, but no 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 no. The strength of Swing Twister Fate is the ability to do nothing and still win the game. Because if your opponent to overextend, use too much mana, your remover is so cheap. You have kegs along you make it rain, ravenous flog The game ending leviathan and we swing together Even a leviathan on board right, is more than enough to scare your opponent Especially when it's turn 8, there, there are not a lot of ways that your opponent can deal with the leviathan You even look at those control and combo decks There are not a lot of ways for them to deal with it Unless they have thermogenic beam or Wheel of aronia Which is very rare because those two cards only exist in Ezreal Karma Which is not played a lot now I, I do See the strength of Ezreal Karma. I still believe it is the strongest deck in the meta, regardless of the Ezreal nerfs. People might think I'm I'm nuts, but so many times I've said things and they all turn out to be true. I predicted a lot of the meta. I predicted a lot of the nerfs. Predicted that Hush is a problem, and now people are starting to realize it. I said so many times that Ezreal Karma will forever remain as the deck of Legends of Terra. I would say that you possibly can't win a tournament unless you know how to deal with the deck or you know how to play the deck. The bold statement yeah. So if you guys are looking to win your next tournament, I highly suggest you knowing how to beat Ezreal Karma efficiently, beat Running Scouts or even know how to play the deck because if Ezreal Karma when you play it well, there's no way you can lose. That's my opinion. So let's look at the other card, the last card in which I say the best or last. Something that's very weird and... I like the fact that it's changed back to three mana, but it's a little bit too late. Flash of brilliance, the effects remain the same. I said that from four mana, I dropped to three. I think when the moment they dropped it from, they increase it from three to four, the play rate maybe went to zero percent because there's no possible way that anybody will run this card anymore. But now with the way that it is reverted back to three mana, and that it has access to a lot of spells now due to the new expansion. This card is in a very weird place. I can potentially see it being played again in some form of Hymer stash ram deck, but the thing about running Freylock together with Heimer, it is, it's not a very proactive deck. It's still very reactive because Freylock playstyle is is a very wait and see kind of play. P and Z. P and Z is a weird. It's a weird. Uh. Is infection? It no, it's not. It's a weird region p and z just feels very late game clankish and you were to pair it together with Freylord which is another late game region it seems to be extremely punishing for for you if you were to run it would i say that hymer will make a resurgence due to flash of brilliance being buffed back to three mana okay let's 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 just me let's just give you my honest thoughts regarding this Fresh of Breader's Buff. I don't think it will affect much because there are a lot of decks right now in the meta that don't run P and Z at all. So if you were to think about it this way, right, this Fresh of Breader's Buff—I mean, Fresh of Britain's Buff being the only P and Z card, apart from Ezreal being hit or being buffed. The only way or the only reason why people play P and Z is because of Ezreal. Let's be honest. You remove Ezreal out of the picture. Maybe Vi, but then Vi got nerfed as well in the in the previous previous patch. It's still playable though, but when we look at it, Vi isn't very menacing, especially in the meta right now, because Vi on his own cannot win in the game. And Ezreal used to be able to level up pretty easily outside of Ezreal Karma because of Ezreal Twister Fate. The only other deck that seems to make Ezreal work, but then when you increase the cost to ten. Every other mid-range form of Ezreal just falls off So I don't see Targon Ezreal being played again Ezreal Twister Fate is definitely dead The only way you play is Ezreal Karma which is the only way you can run Ezreal properly Even those mono Ezreal decks They are totally fall off the radar because there are so little cards that you run that can help you target You probably run only like 10, 12, 15 targeting cards Static Shift targets twice And Static Shift is incredibly important now due to the nerf to it the reason why I say azure karma can run azure well is because most of the state of the games in which you're gonna face is hyper late game, turn 10 onwards, turn 13, 14 you know. And then karma will be the double target, which means that azure will level up essentially the same because you usually overlevel it initially when you run azure karma. So when you look at it, this flash of brilliance buff, you go unnoticed because PNC is not played at all. In fact when you look at all the tier 1 decks, most of the PNC portion is usually run by Jinx because they run discard aggro or some, some form of the deck. Fetch of Brilliance will go unnoticed definitely 100 percent And that's it man, that's my overall thoughts on this patch. I have more to say. In fact my the next part I'll be talking more about is the the cross shards play. Because we all know that the SL of the target, know, we will be going on during the weekend. By the time this episode goes live, uh the tournament probably ended. During your time zone, yeah, I would say that this cross shots play is good. It is a step in the good direction. Step in the good direction in terms of competitive play, but then as a player in the Southeast region perspective, I don't think that this deck or this cross play will really help us at all because of the different time zone. Let me give you an example. I used to play Hearthstone competitively in the past during my short stint about six, seven months. I think the longest, I think it was 8 months, i just give you 6 months. You know it was so hard to keep up with those Zotec cups during 1am, even 2am in the morning, was it 5am, I can't recall, you wake up incredibly early. During that time, I wasn't so accustomed to waking up early at all. I was still the lazy millennial back when I was 19 years old, waking up at like 9, not 10am in the morning. You know, I even though I was motivated, I would say most of my characteristics were still the same. I tend to sleep later because I would spend my time running out games, hanging out with friends, and whatnot, doing millennial stuff, you know, drinking and uh, all those crazy stuff. So, you need to wake up at the earlier time store, or you need to fit your schedule to fit the tournament schedule through the cross-sharp play. I do know that, okay, let's say you're a competitive player, and you really, really, really want to play the play Legends of Runeterra to the next level, you know, you want to be the next Lionel Messi of eSports or something So I guess this cross-sharp play won't affect you as much But I'll say in general, this cross-sharp play Playing different regions together Will definitely limit the... Or it will f- narrow and filter down the true enthusiasts The true hardcore people who want to go pro in this game For my region, the Southeast Asia From those who are just participating for the part, for the sake of participating Cause when it comes to time zone, during that period, maybe most of us are in school or with the goal to work So we definitely can't participate in some tournaments due to the restrictions and the integration of cross-sharp play Due to this, I highly doubt that a lot of Southeast Asia tournament organisers will carry forward with tournaments Because I will see a lot of tournaments start to integrate this cross-sharp play Having Southeast Asia players join along, Asia players, it will be like a 4-region kind of thing and then the identity of each region will sort of fade off and the significance of it will definitely drop other than grinding the master rank ladder. So I would say that uh, this cross shot play will definitely weed out the, the casuals from the hardcore players and that's my thoughts regarding it. With FAC, the enthusiasts or the ones who are already in it, they will definitely be the one that will conquer this cross-up dating in tournaments. But as for the players who can't fit the time zone, so I guess they won't even bother in participating in tournaments in the future because of the time zone issue. Yep, so that's all I have to say regarding this. So with all this new patch, new tournament experience in the future, let's talk about the brand new meta and what will possibly change in patch 1.10 when it goes live. Despite the new meta that will be coming out, I did mention that Ezreal will definitely see around the same amount of play even during patch 1.9 or 1.8. Notice I did skip a patch, maybe 1.9 was the one that was extremely small and then no one really bothered what really went on during that patch. Well all I can say is that despite all the nerves to Ezreal, its play rate will still remain the same. The only way that people actually experimented around with it was the Targon Ezreal but the deck never seemed to take off because let's just say that Targon Ezreal doesn't have a very good way to finish the game. It relies on too many factors in order to win the game. It is not as effective as Ezreal Twister Fate with the ability to deal with the early game that most aggro decks have. They can deal with mid range decks very easily because of a card known as Riptide Rex. And also through Retirex, the ability to level up Ezreal almost instantly when you drop it on turn 9, even turn 10, is almost an instant win from there. And when we look at the beach Water Package with a couple of value minions during the early and mid game, allowing P and Z's ability to handle with disruption or destroying opponents cards through their own form of removal. Ezreal Twister Fate really saw itself as one of the decks that could punish the majority of mid range decks and even aggro during the period in which Heimer went off and it sort of got replaced by tons of, uh, replaced by by replaced the mid-range meta So th- when it comes to Ezreal right because when we see the way the meta has been shifted right now Scouts is presumably the strongest deck Ezreal has never had a good time playing against Scout decks Even in my experience of playing Ezreal Kama Heimer the biggest weakness that these deck's face, especially P and Z in general, and when you're playing more of like a combo deck, something like an Ezreal deck, you always seem to get punished by Marcia because of cards like Relentless Pursuit and Ranger's Resolve. In an earlier podcast where I mentioned the strength of Ezreal Karma. The only reason why Ezreal Karma is so strong against aggro, and I would say, people might say that aggro stands a very good chance against Ezreal Karma, but they are wrong in some sense, because when we look at Ezreal Karma, most of the removal comes in the form of one damage. There are times in which the damage can be more than one, beat 5-6 through Thermogenic Beam. Mystic Shot is almost always guaranteed to clear a minion on your opponent's board. So when we think of Scouts and its dominance now with a lot of people running attack, we just resolve even two copies at minimum. Maximum, maximum will be three, but I don't think anybody will even run three copies. The thing about playing scouts is that you more or less you wouldn't mulligan for scouts I do mulligan for scouts, mulligan for ranger's resolve in your opening hand You'll most likely want to keep it Or maybe it's just like a top deck, something that is good Especially and you need to factor in that scouts has bannerman and genevieve Meaning that just for one turn, if your opponent has plans to clear your board with Ezreal When he's playing Ezreal, that means he has some form of removal, static shift, mystic shot, get excited, gotcha The list of cards goes on and on just one Bannerman or either a Genevieve on board, on curve, turn 4 or turn 6, means that your opponent most likely will not be able to deal with your entire board. With the fact that, that Way of Arena has an increased cost, and as you Twister Fate, no doubt he has a good time playing against Build Water. No, I mean, not, uh, most of the mid range decks and has Water, he has good matchups against Freylord, and the majority of the mid range decks during the pre 1.8 meta, the 1.6, 1.7 meta. The reason why Azure Twister Fate was good is because it could handle most of the range decks but then when you factor in scouts and the master the Avengers Resolve, meaning that you most likely won't be able to clear what what they have. what's the way that Ezreal tries to store out the game to reach the late game is through ensuring that their removal almost must always clear something on the opposing board, if not you'll be taking damage over time. And when you're playing Ezreal, you don't run a lot of heals unless you count healing potion, health pot. With Karma, the double tap, I mean the double cast because of Karma's level ability. But that's in the late game. When you're playing against scouts, it's highly unlikely that you'll reach that portion of the game because their games tend to end as soon as turn 6 or even turn 7. Because Genevieve plus Relentless Pursuit, even the double attack, Misfortune will level up, Queen will level up. And in those matchups, it's incredibly easy to level up Misfortune and Queen because of Bannerman and Ranger's Resolve, meaning that your remover can't outright trade 1 for 1. On the opposing side, and you keep taking damage over time, and you most likely won't be able to survive the game. And so, with the Targon meta, Azure sort of failed off because the, the meta sort of shifted towards more of a Targon ish kind of thing, with mid range decks being the forefront, and some form aggro. And the good thing about this meta is the every deck kind of beats every deck, except that your Karma sits at the top. That's not my belief because your Karma just seems to have a good time against everything that is not scouts. And even Swing Toaster Fate, I'll add that in because Swing Toaster Fate against Ezreal Karma, it comes down to more of a coin flip. If the Swing Toaster can keep drawing the Leviathan on curve, maybe during the later stages of the game, there's no way that the Ezreal Karma player can win. Because we look at the form of, forms of removal that the deck has, it's very cheap. Revenant's Clock is always 4 damage, meaning that regardless of whether your champion level up, be it Ezreal be Karma, they always, will always be destroyed by reference slot, and they can easily be tilted by the leviathan. So with the Tarkon meta, it introduces the card known as Hush and Hush is the most problematic card that I can see in the meta today. Because Hush exists, Ezreal will not be able to pop off because when you summon Ezreal, the priority will be passed back to your opponent, meaning that they can instantly shut down your Ezreal for a turn. Or maybe they already have a demanding bot presence and you solely rely on Ezreal to win the game on that turn. The moment you drop Ezreal, he can just counter with Hush and that's just puts Ezreal to shame Purify is not able to deal with Ezreal the way that Hush can So with all these new cards, all this new added pressure and the fact that Ezreal now has bumped up to 10 targets in order to level up no doubt the games right now will drag a bit longer because we see a lot of control decks but the funny thing about all these control decks is they have a recurring team which is known as ramp, or wording Stones or Catalyst or Ion we see we're playing the Trandimir Trundle deck, the Overwhelm Ram deck, that sort of ends games very quickly, and then we have Asol Trundle, which is a very rich deck. That no doubt you can farm some form of uh, charges or warding stones and the, and the minions because they don't really, they do have a form of saving their own minions through Troll but apart from Troll there's no way that you can save your minions and most likely they'll just trade in and they just do cheap damage to your Wording stones because it has 4 life right meaning that you can probably tank up, static shot, mystic shot, all kinds of targeting spells but now with the increased cost to 10, apart from karma, azure karma I don't see any application in which azure will be played in my opinion this is a very good proactive nerf they are trying to hit the card before it kind of dominates the meta again because we all know that there's always innovation in of Terra players will always find a new way to make the deck work and now that the level up condition has increased you can expect to see a lot of players totally drop Ezreal well. perhaps maybe in the next Call of the Mountain expansion which will probably be the part 2 will be coming out of about a month, around 5 weeks from now so do expect to see Ezreal making a resurgence as of right now, if I were to put it in the meta place Ezreal will not be seeing a lot of play apart from Ezreal karma in tournament setting I don't really know how the 10 target level condition will affect Ezreal as much because before that it wasn't really played as much. <coughs> so do expect to see Ezreal having close to no play at all. Another card that everyone seems to be very excited And maybe after the Ascent of Targon tournament, you'll see a lot of players start to run which is the Tariq Lee deck. I believe that the reducing cost but also at the trade-off of the reducing in life People might see that it's a good trade off and it is a buff to the card. However, when you see that this card is being placed into a mid range meta, the only way that Least Taric Sin is incredibly strong is in a meta where control and combo decks are sort of in play. Because Taric Sin or just Sin decks in general have a very good time against combo decks. They are incredibly good against Azrael Karma. They're really good against Hymer Because of when you drop Sin on the board, you can easily give it barrier. And the only way that they could deal with it was Wheel of arena in the past. And now when we look at the mid range meta, they don't even write any form of removal because all they got to do is stabilize the board, have at least four to five creatures on it, and you'll win the game. And Listen only kind of thrives in an era in which or a meta in which it is one two minutes on board and you can trade evenly. You have you can use one spell to remove one and then you use this in to click the other into an nexus So you kinda understand what I mean, right? Tariq Dissin is only incredibly good in a meta where it revolves around control and combo decks or the rest of meta where you know what your opponent is going to play. And with the amount of diversity that you see in the ladder now, I don't think Tariq in is as strong as I thought it would be because 6 mana for it, it seems with the stat line of the 6 mana 3-6 and we level up because 6 mana 4-7 and now they drop it to a 4 mana 4-5, four, I think it's, in my opinion it's a nerf. Well, I know a lot of people will say that it's a buff, but to me it's a nerf, because you'll most likely never drop this in unless it's leveled up. And let's say you drop this listing on a tempo play, you have to remember that this meta consists of one deck that can totally ruin the, the turret listing player. You want to make a guess? Of course, the deck is none other than Swing Twister Fate. The funny thing is that in this meta, because of the way it's structured, aggro decks need to go wide. they have very low life other than scouts they can easily be handled with a cac powered make it rain and one deck that is incredibly good in making that happen is none other than pirate aggro or swing twister fate the most reliable one is not other than swing twister fate because he has run so much removal and the late game is fairly easy to execute because you have the leviathan and then you have swain and then most likely twister fate will need to be addressed as soon as possible and you look at the number of removal that the decks run nowadays. They don't run a lot of remover unless you are facing... Actually, let's be honest, there are not a lot of decks that run remover. You look at Trundle Aso, the only remover they run is the Celeste cards they can generate. But that's in the late game. Maybe Avalanche, unless you count that card. is very unreliable because it's slow. You can sort of react to it. And then another form of remover is Tr- Is the Tryndamere Trundle deck. They also run Avalanche only and maybe some Vengeance. So maybe that counts into maybe... 6 forms of removal, 3 avalanche, and... Just who am I kidding? 7 forms of removal, 3 three copies of Avalanche, 2 copies of Vengeance, and maybe 2 copies of Grass of the Dying. So if you were to see in this sense, there are not a lot of forms of removal that the, the decks run. And that's why when you look at it in the sense, Lee Sin, Tariq and Lee Sin, their biggest weakness is none other than Swintish to Fate. And then, they most likely will try to want to deal with Twister Fate, because when you look at Tariq this in, it's 4 mana, so it evenly matches with uh, Twister Fate. And that's a very good application, because you can just challenge it and kick it, or maybe just deal damage. You know, through the combat phase, you do you, you, you uh, challenge it, then you hit it, maybe you barrier it, then you don't take any damage. But to factor in that, apart from this hypothetical scenario, the only way in which Tariq Isin can actually win this if Swing to it opens a very bad hand But when you talk about bad hands in Swing to it Their bad hand always has Revenous Flock And you look at the number of stuns that the deck has they even run the... uh, What's that? That spider card? That 2 mana? Is it 3 mana? 3 2? Uh, I forget what's the card called uh, Yeah, so when you drop that card You can easily stun the leasing And it's easily a 4 life Meaning that your Revenous Flock is almost always going to clear it And if the increased cost of I mean the increased no the decreased health cost, or the health of the Lee Sin, it gets easily cleared by this two cards combo. Even just a simple make it rain followed up by ravenous Flock can easily clear Lee Sin. And also the level up condition and you also have to drop two spells. Because when you drop it on curve, be it turn four, you most likely wouldn't have enough spell mana. Unless you already save three mana and you have now Lee Sin in hand, then you can double cast and protect it from ravenous Flock but that's a very huge investment, but no doubt that plays into your level up condition so you can look at it from two two sides of the scenario so if I were to say whether Lee Sin will see more play or whether it's a buff or a nerf at all I don't think that Lee Sin's buff that people might say will make it game breaking but do expect the meta to be filled with tons of Tariq Lee Sin decks potentially when that happens, I don't see I I will start to see less and less players trying to run RAM anymore or like the number of ram players will try to drop because I guess ram's biggest weakness because they only can drop one creature at a the time their biggest weakness is Tyrek Lee Sin yes that's not a very fun matchup you guys have a chance if you guys ever had a chance to have that kind of matchup do let me know because it's not a very fun one that's where Lee Sin is against control and combo decks because of the very narrow broad presence because Lee Sin excels in handling one combat target at a time so another card in which or of that concept that people thinking are thinking that might see a resurgence started other than Hymer. The entire application of Hymer in Hymer Vi in the past has changed because Hymer's turrets got reworked. I wouldn't call it a nerf, I would say the direction of playing Hymer has changed. I don't believe that the changes to Flash of Brilliance will affect it as much. But there's a way in which it can be played, and it's something that I've been brainstorming for a while, it's nothing other than Putting Rem together with Hymer. But like I mentioned, Freylord and PNZ doesn't gel well together. So it might possibly become sort of like a very meme deck, meme deck that people might run in tournaments when they don't want to run Freylord or PNZ. Because let's be honest, right now in the tournament meta, PNZ just seems to be the most underrepresented region, with Freylord having many different forms of application you can play. Bilge Water, Freylord. You can run it together, free lot, Targon to become a which is the most popular deck. One well, of the most popular, not the most popular deck, right now. Another form of way in which you can play free lot is another way when Shadow Elves. You can create everyone's favorite deck known as. How can I ever forget? They who endure, endure spiders. And speaking of endear spiders, the deck is still good because, we all know how easy the line of play the deck is. Drop a bunch of ephemeral minions. Let your minions die. Hopefully, you top deck into Deku Endure, maybe even one or two copies. But now, with the existence of Hush, the reason why you don't see much Endure Spiders being played is because Hush is so strong and it makes Who Endure look like a chumpy little spiderling 1 1 man when you cast Hush on it. And that's very sad, man. And so, let's look at another card or another archetype that I might see play. It's not other than the Nightfall Aggro. The buff to Sightness is a good one, but whether it merits Sightness having more than one copy in the deck, I hardly think that they have space for it. Even if they do, it will become a very clunky dead draw. But due to the buff of Sightness, I can see an increase in play of Nightfall aggro, but it will not be able to overcome or even be placed in the top 5 decks of the patch 1.10 meta. My predictions for it is that Nightfall aggro will see more play, but whether it can overtake pirate aggro or even the new form of the Sedge, the Cedroani gang playing hybrid of an aggro mid-range thing. Pretty sure you guys have faced the deck a lot. You guys might think that, oh the, anyway the new Cedroani gang playing is way stronger than the Misfortune version that a lot of players tend to favor in the patch 1.6 or was it patch 1.8 meta? No, it's patch 1.6. I do believe there was a time in which Cedroani Misfortune was a thing. But the new gangplank Sajrani is incredibly powerful because it sort of employs a very aggroish strategy at the start of the game. And then when it goes to the mid-game, your Sajrani and gangplank is easily leveled up because they have the ability to do damage on your turn and even on their turn, meaning that on the turn their gangplank is dropped is really leveled up. Or maybe on the turn that Sajrani is dropped is really leveled up, or maybe close to leveling up. Because of how easy the deck is able to deal damage every turn through warning shot, make it rain, many forms of application. Because they have Powder Monkey and Powder Monkey. I don't think Powder Monkey is incredibly strong. I say it's a balanced card, but then time will tell whether that card will become problematic. In my opinion, it is still at an adjustable or pretty good power level, but in the future, you know, I might just address a couple of cards that might see play. They might become problematic. Let me correct myself. Do look forward to that. We probably come out. Maybe during the end of this month, yeah, I'll just talk about it, a few cuts that, especially in the Call of the Mountain part 1, even the entire landscape of the meta will become problematic. Hush is on the list, but by the time my next episode moves live, the patch, there will probably be a patch 1.11 in the future, because that's in the works. If you guys read the patch notes, it's one of the things they want to address. So let's get back to Sightness. So when it comes to it will potentially... Okay, the way in which Sightness is buffed is because there's a cut known as Unspeakable Horror. Unspeakable Horror is Drain One Nightfall. You generate a free Nightfall minion. And you look at the decks that run Unspeakable Horror. The Trundle Trindamir deck, the the ramp the ramp deck with the Overwhelm, they run three copies of Unspeakable Horror if I'm not wrong because I faced it a couple of times on the ladder, and so I assume that they are running Unspeakable Horrors, maybe three copies of it. And then we look at Nightfall, they also run three copies of it. I can't really think of any other deck in Shadow Isles that runs unspeakable Horror but if they do right, the whole Cygnus buff really makes it damn strong because there's a chance that you'll be able to generate Cygnus and that Cygnus ability to gain Elusive and you maybe you buff up Trundle or even Trinamere to gain Elusive that's probably an OTK on the next turn is something that your opponent cannot plan for and this is perhaps on the power levels of Ezreal Karma because we all know how powerful randomness is when it comes to karma, generating free win conditions being able to change up the late game win condition of either winning through Ezreal double spell shot through the double casting of karma along with the the hero ability of 2 damage meaning that every spell you cast is actually 4 damage or you need 5 spells to win the game so with Sightness and Unspeakable Horror the synergy together there's a chance you might be able to generate Sightness the newly buffed Sightness through Unspeakable Horror and let's say you're running like a plunder, slash, a plunder ram deck, you have the ability to to give the elusive buff to inner Trinomir or truandle and you can do easily face damage of 12 or 13 and that's more than enough to close the game because you have to know that Trundle and they decks, they, have, they run war mother meaning that they'll most likely be keeping you at less than 10 life unless you're playing a soul truandle which is the direct nerf to the direct Direct uh counter to Trundle Trinomir So I can see Sightness seeing more play, but not through running Sightness itself, because of this card known as Unspeakable Horror, which is significantly buffed thanks to the buff to Sightness. So it's sort of like a correlation, it's like a foreign key kind of relation, you know, if you guys know database administration. So I can see Unspeakable Horror seeing more play. But as for the whole nightfall aggro. I don't think so because it is not on the level of the other aggro decks in the meta, and not to mention life for aggro is very hard to play. I don't know how many times I mentioned this, but it is the hardest deck to play for aggro. So let's look at the another deck which will potentially see a lot of play because right now it is the strongest deck, pirate aggro. Either you're running the true, either you're running the, the version of a misfortune in gangplank, or you're playing twister Fate with gangplank. Either way, you're still running Noxious with Bridgewater. Regardless of all the hits to Azrael, the buffs to Lee Sin and the other cards that are in the meta, do I expect to see Pirate Aggro still at the same power levels. No doubt that Yordle Grifter has been nerfed, but you do have to understand that Yordle Grifter is a win more card. So regardless of Yordle Grifter getting hit, the deck is still at the same power levels. So even so, when they resolve Yordle Grifter you can expect to, to really lose the game because, let's be honest, pre-turn 3, they already really keep you at less than 13 life. So when the turn 4 they drop your auto-gifter, they still can't again nap. You can more or less predict, or more or less can tell you're going to lose the game. Unless you're trading evenly. Your other gifter naps one, and then they gain warning shot. I don't really know, but that's still a very even kind of like scenario, which happens most of the time, unless the Pirate aggro player or the one running Bilge Noxious has an overwhelming lead over you. And in, and in that scenario, they're most likely really going to win. And so when we look at the nerf to Grifter, I would say that the, the power levels of that deck still remains the same. However when it comes to more of the late game kind of decision where they're unable to close the game by turn 6, when it comes to that, they generally become weaker. However, that there still holds on the same to all aggro decks. They need to win the game by turn 5, if not, they are sort of irrelevant. But then I will still see water aggro, or any form of water deck, to be the forefront for aggro decks. The other Grifter nerf is a step in a good direction, but I don't think there's any deck that can match his speed. Whether or not crack Kr- Crackshot, Corsair, and Jagger Master, whether a combination of those two cards will affect the future of Pirate aggro, I would say that. You know, I don't think that players would run those two cards together in any deck. Even if they do, it's going to be sort of a one-off kind of thing. I don't think it'll work, honestly, because you shouldn't run a deck in which you have too many outliers. Cards that synergize, not, no, not synergize, cards that sort of rely on each other. Cards that synergize are different, meaning that they don't need to correlate each other. It's just a sequence of plays, which is the sense of making a mid-range deck. You just play a bunch of good cards and it sort of work. So if you're running like 1 course minions to get a Jagger Taskmaster, you might even want to fit in Von Heap in there. And that's the thing, if you run such a deck, no doubt it works together, but it relies on each other to work. And to make a tier 1 deck, you cannot make such a such a relationship between all the cards, because if you're missing one part, you're going to lose. And so if you guys want to know like, when it comes to tier 1 decks, or how to build a proper deck, it all comes down to whether the individual parts of the cards can outright win the game on its own because if you run cards that require each other to win you're probably going to lose 70 or 80% of the time because let's be honest anything that is not aggro will not work and if you want to run a combo deck and too many pieces form the combo like you need 20 cards to make it work it's not going to work because in the sense where you look at Ezreal Karma, the reason why it works is because Karma on its own can generate win conditions Ezreal on its own is enough to provide sort of a proxy or a distraction for your opponent to deal with it. Who knows he might just drop his ag- he might drop just drop his aggro act and try to deal with Ezreal And then Ezreal on the board, any other card that is being played, sort of makes Ezreal stronger. And then Karma on his own can win the game on its own. Same can be said for Heimervi. Heimer on the board, any other spell that you play. You can run thirty seven spells and three three Heimer, which is in the case is very similar to the Heimervi thing uh, that was Wrecking havoc on the meta for 2 months The deck works so well because it's actually a 3 card deck with 37 other cards that play as supporting cards So in the sense when I'm talking about crack shot, Cosire and Jagger Taskmaster You need to run a lot of 1 cost minion in the deck You need to run Von Yip. I don't know what else you need to run The deck will probably not work because it relies on each other too much in order to make it work And therefore I would say That deck will sort of fade off And let's talk about Aesoul this, this is a topic that will interest a lot of you. I still believe that ASO will be played heavily, I wouldn't say heavily, maybe twenty, no, 10% of the meta will be ASO because it is not an easy deck to run. The deck requires you to know this high level skill when it comes to Legend of is passing proactively because the deck is not a deck in which you need to outright play anything during your turn, be your opponent turn. It's a very reactive deck. And it's the sort of deck that relies on your opponent committing something first before you commit something else. Because we all know that, we all know that the, the cards in the deck have very high costs. The only, the only time in which you play a high cost card is the ice pillar to give yourself a free 8 mana. To give yourself 8 mana back and sort of act as a blocker for your opponent. Opponent's aggression. Apart from that, there's not really much of a, of a proactive play unless you count Wording Stones and Cactus or Iron. That's sort of the underlying strategy is to ramp up as soon as possible, gain a lot of mana, and then be able to deal with what your opponent has. Because without those ramp, you look at the cards, if you don't run ramp, 3 burning Stones, 3 Catholics, or Iron, the deck really looks extremely clunky and bad, man. Like, there are some games which I don't even open any form of ramp, and it's almost as good as I'm going to lose, especially when you play against Scouts or those sort of aggro decks. If you're doing it early game, you can take damage because you have Avalanche to react to it, and then you have Ram, you have this of Iron the Hill mana and give you the Trundle one turn earlier. By the way when you drop Trundle, the game is almost half won, cause Trundle is just so menacing against most of the aggro decks. And so when I see Aso Trundle, no doubt people will still play it, but they will lean more towards aggro. So let me just say that there are two forms of Aso that are being played in the meta now. First one is the traditional Trundle Aso. Basically your simple ram deck which has totally replaced Arnivia Reanimator The problem with running is so is that your ram cards lose value any time past turn 6 You're sort of drawing the dead cards in your dead cards Which is one of the reasons why I don't like playing War Mother is because War Mother's card will no doubt drop your Wording source from the top of your deck But then, would you want to run a Chao Mana card to do that? So when it comes to warm other decks, it's kind of a coin flip because you know the number of minions that you run Maybe you're running 12? I do know, maybe 15. 3 champions, Trindamere and Trundle 3 Wording Stones 3 and I and Hervgaard I can't remember what other creatures they run but I sort of get it right The reason why ASO Trundle is the best rem deck is because there's no other choice unless you want to run the Trundle, Trindamere which has an incredibly bad matchup against Aso Trundle because they can generate unlimited supernova and deal with all your trindomirs. and you don't run any form of the what? what oh I forget the you re- no, not rekindling, or the harrowing. You don't run the harrowing, meaning that nothing comes back. And so let's say you lose all of your key champions and you're left with maybe one Trundle, one trindom in the deck. You're not gonna win because first thing, you deal with the spell shield on Aso. Second, you need to deal with ASO itself, generating free minions, and most likely it's going to level up because your removal can't really deal with ASO that well. So, when it comes to Trundle ASO, I would say that it has a very strong, firm place against most of the decks that are not aggro. It has a very good matchup against mid range decks because it runs a lot of heals, meaning that they can run mid range decks, but it's sort of heal back everything that they do. And when I talk about mid-range, scout doesn't count because scout I sort of label it as aggro now. The other mid-range decks, they don't they can't kill you in a turn. So it means that your ASOL channel is more or less gonna be able to reach turn 8 onwards and then you gain access to infinite times later. And then another deck in which ASOL is being represented is Lux ASOL. I heavily mirror this deck to Lux Karma. The play style is very similar. Just pretend that ASOL is the karma of the deck, and you're good to go. However, there's always a problem with Lux ASO, it is that it's incredibly bad against Trundle ASO because they have RAM and they have access to ASO earlier than you. The thing about Lux ASO is that you're sacrificing your late game, the late game potential of a Trundle ASO that, for early and mid game stabilizers, no doubt you have very good matchups against aggro because you have access to Radiant Guardian and Grizzled Ranger along with Concerted Strike. But apart from that, I can see that Lux ASO has a good matchup against almost every deck in the meta, except Trundle ASO. And that I would say is a good trade-off because the number of 300 Aso players are not a lot. I would say there are more Lux Aso players. Heck, there are even some Leona Aso players but I don't count that deck as a proper meta deck. So let's just say that Aso will definitely be played. Trundle Aso or Lux Aso. Any other form of Aso decks, they're very gimmicky and don't work because you need RAM. Just think of it as RAM allows you to play Aso on the level of a mid-range deck. you gain access to cards earlier and faster and lastly the deck in which will definitely dominate regardless of whatever patch it is it's not other than scouts no doubt it's the strongest deck i don't need to explain this concept again i remember i remember remember addressing aggro in one of my very first podcast episodes saying that scout is a very trojan horse mechanic for aggro and now i've been proven right never like the mechanic i think it'll get worse from here Purify is a problem. When Hush goes out, Purify will become a problem. (sighs) So, do expect to see Scout dominating for the next 2 weeks. And so if I were to rank, I'll give you a top 5 decks for patch 1.10. Let's start with number 5, in descending order. Number 5 will be Trundle Aso, because their deck is incredibly rewarding, but tough to pilot. Because you need to reach turn 8, turn 9, that's where your pivotal play comes in. And dropping ASO doesn't really win you the game unless you're dropping it on the board when it levels up. The thing is that it has a good matchup against everything that is on aggro. Although it suffers quite a bit against swing to stuff it, but that's something that you need to understand. Is that in this meta, it is the best meta as of late because every deck can beat every deck. And let's look at number four, Another than swing to stuff it. The deck has a very good matchup against everything, it sort of relies on either your opponent overextending and not thinking what you have, and you just playing out the game hoping that you can reach the leviathan turns and just win from the 3 damage every turn and the massive body that it has, along with sway and ability to stun everything. Tons of removal, you can deal with aggro, mid range, and possibly even control decks because of the card known as the leviathan. And then we look at number 3, it's not an empire aggro the 2nd strongest, no, strongest aggro deck, or maybe even the 3rd strongest aggro deck it reminds me a lot of, it's a more consistent version of the champion's burn because the minions are cheap, but then the whole, the whole concept of the deck revolves around leveling up your champions as soon as possible, namely Gangplank. Gangplank is a solid body of overwhelm and generating free cacks every turn so I do potentially see this deck dominating, at least, for the next 2 weeks because it has very good matchups against almost everything. And then let's look at number 2, gang gangplank hybrid of an aggro or midrange I can't really tell whether it's an aggro or midrange deck. I would say that this deck is the most optimized version of the Sajrani bruge Water deck that I've ever seen. The Misfortune Fortune running deck, no doubt it's good, but in this current version where it runs Gangplank, it runs tons of hyper-aggro cards like Warning Shot, the... what card throw? Uh, the the elusive one mana minion, the ability to snowball games out of control, able to permafrost, frost, perma freeze your opponents deck opponent minions. And that and that exists in a aggro slash mid-range deck. How ridiculous does that sound, right? It's and, and the best part is that it is consistent, you're able to level up Sajrani almost every game. And when you look at a level up Sodrani, it means that ASO will never level up. But if opponent is able to reach turn 10, then they can drop ASO. It doesn't really matter to them whether you freeze the board, right? Because they have access to freeze the master cards every turn. So, the reason why I say Sejuani Gangplank is strong is because when you compare it to other aggro decks, it can pair off pretty well with aggro decks. When it comes to mid range decks, they have access to Sejuani, namely the stronger 6 mana drop. And then they even have Gangplank, Overwhelm. And then when you look at the way the deck is being built, you are easily able to level up both gangplank as a journey, meaning that your turn 5 and turn 6 is incredibly strong and your power spike is way- you'll spike harder than every other mid-range deck in the meta. That's why I put it as number 2, because there's no way that they can beat the number 1 deck. And this is no surprise, the number 1 deck that will dominate the meta is Scouts. I don't see any weakness that the deck has, it sort of is consistent against everything because they have Banner Man, they have Rangers Resolve, they have Genevieve, double attack with Misfortune. I don't, see, I don't see any deck beating this for quite a long time unless there's a new version of Heimervie that comes out but I highly doubt so we're probably another 5 weeks away from the new expansion, the new part of the expansion until then scouts will dominate the meta unfortunately I'm not a scouts player, I don't really like the concept I find myself always having a good time against this deck because you need to sort of predict what your opponent has you just see in the hand if they're holding on to a certain card it miss it's relentless pursuit they're waiting for the right time to drop it so when it comes to facing scouts, there isn't really much of a clear-cut strategy. The only thing you can hope is that they don't curve on turn, and then you'll be able to win the game because, okay let's just say I'm playing ramp, if my opponent don't drop things on curve, it means that I have a free turn, and let's say if I start first, it means that I have more combat phases than my opponent, and we know how reliant scouts decks are reliant when it comes to combat phases, so that's one thing you take note of. The final portion of the patch notes in which they caught my eye was that they were about to address, patch 1.11, there were 2 changes that caught my eye. The first one was the hush, the escalating cause, where you were to cast it over and over again. I say that this nerf, maybe it will become a when you cast it for the first time is 3 mana, subsequent time will be 4 followed by 5 and 6, meaning that in a hypothetical scenario, you need at least 7 manas to gain a double hush through one card do I believe that this nerf will stop the onslaught of hush? in my opinion, it doesn't really change the fact that hush is too strong cause let's say in the sense in which both of you are on an equal bot stance hush is only gonna be played twice, meaning that 7 mana is all you need to give you an advantage in the sense in which if both of you have the same amount of bot, same bot state maybe you're the control player, you have A song on bot your opponent wants to sneak in the wind, you know, they develop their board, they overcommit, they do a lot of funny shenanigans All you gotta do is just wait on your A soul. And you look at your opponent, what you gotta do man? And then they do some sh- funny funny shenanigans, they try to do a lot of funny plays And then they open combat, they thinking that uh, maybe they have an Overwhelm They can do piercing damage, and then you just drop Hush Most of the time you need to drop it twice, you to cast Hush twice and the plus one cost, due to the escalating thing that they have in mind it doesn't really change the fact that Hush can really cost the opponent the game you'll take more than that to make Hush reach a level in which is more balanced but I guess this escalating cost when it comes to Hush repeated usage is a good step, step in the good, step in the right direction but let me tell you guys, it's not enough Hush is overpowered it's on the levels of unhealthy card design If you guys remember way before the card was even being released into the meta I made a bold call that Purify and Hush are two cards that should never exist in the game in the first place cause the silence mechanic is simply too strong Another card that could potentially see a change This is something that will probably gonna happen It's gonna happen eventually, it's not like an ASO Do I believe that the 20 total attack on board it's too it's such it's too easy of a way to level up. I think that it's justified because when it comes to ASO right, you look at the ways that a deck can be played. If you play too many minions, it's sort of you might as well don't play ASO right? Because you're playing a mid-range deck. If you play tons of minions, it means that you're trying to drop a good a good minion every every turn on curve. The whole reason why you run ASO is to be sort of a combo deck, it's not a combo deck, to be a control kind of play you destabilise the board, you try to control what your opponent has, you try to make their life as miserable as possible, you reach turn 10 you drop it, and that's your win condition. And let me tell you, ASO having 20 attack on board overall is really healthy enough. And if they were to change it to maybe 25 or even 30, that really beats the purpose because the whole point of dropping ASO on turn 10 is to close the game, that's your win condition. And I believe that if they were to take it even further, even the karma, the karma level up condition is justified because the pre the pre-turn ten the, the pre-turn ten karma with 5 mana is not strong. But they increase the cost because applications of karma and combo decks is too strong and they try to make it less oppressive. But now when they hurt both karma and Azure together, it just sort of shows that they do not want the game to be taking a very combo kind of approach. They want it to be a mid-range kind of card game which i mentioned in the past where a card game is, is more as it is at its most healthiest when there's constant interaction between both sides you and your opponent constantly passing and sort of seeing each other's place so when you're playing combo decks you're sort of just playing for yourself you're just playing cards practicing on your own oh oh yeah i killed my opponent in one turn yeah that's basically combo deck in a nutshell you're just playing a sequence of cards to see whether you can win on the turn, or maybe you just win on the next turn because you know, that's how combo decks are But truth be told, combo decks are not easy to play And the reason why people always complain is because It's not fun to lose against a combo deck, but there's a lot of top process that goes behind playing Ezreal Karma That really makes the deck the pinnacle of Legends of Runeterra I would say that you can't call yourself a good Runeterra player until you have mastered that deck There are a lot of things that you have to understand, there are a lot of tricks that you can do with the deck that a traditional mid-range deck can't really teach you as much. But no doubt playing mid-range decks to a high level is a good accomplishment in a sense because that's the fundamental aspect of card games. Reading what your opponent has and stuff like that. But when you talk about dropping millions on curve, does that qualify you as a, as a good player? Highly doubt that. And so when it comes to Arrayden Soul, I don't think that the buff or the nerf, the potential nerf that will come to it, is something that I agree with because I believe that when you drop ASO, you're gonna, you're supposed to win the game outright like that. In fact, it should just be an enlightened effect. What's the power of ASO, or the reason why you play ASO is to reach a late game, you drop it, you win the game. That is in the sense in most control in most control decks, karma You reach turn then you win, Anivia in which turn then you're gonna win, or you reach 10 mana crystals as soon as possible. As so if they're gonna nerf ASO and make it to a 25 attack, it's still justifiable. They're making it harder to level up because ASO level up you're more or less, hundred percent win rate. The same can be said for Karma as well. So if we were to compare with the other enlightened enlightened champions, because I do count ASO sort of an enlightened champion because it's a late game ten mana creature. I would say that if they want to the nerf Asol, they should also distribute the nerf accordingly to any and even Karma. All three cards should be hit together, because Asol on its own. I don't understand why they want to hit it because, let me just give you a. A history lesson in Yu-Gi-Oh, back in the time in which, before there were things known as structure decks, where you buy a deck and you can just play the deck out from fresh from the box. You buy 3 of the deck, you put the right cards together and you can play it. They, do, they want to make the game that way, meaning that if they were to hurt 1 card from that entire structure deck, the entire pre-created deck, the deck is flat out dead. They do not want to make a deck in which relies on many components i.e. Ezreal Karma, i.e. Hecarim, Ephemeral Midrange Of course when you look at Ephemeral Midrange and Ezreal Karma those cards sort of don't work together but they work well because of the champions in the deck and so they sort of work independently to win the game for you same case, the ultimate example is none other than the Masya and even Hecarim or the Ephemeral Midrange deck that works together because they run the best cards in the game we have Ionia Deny, Hackerim, Zed, Dust and Dawn, the Ruination, the Harrowing, they run the best cards of both regions of what the regions that they include have to offer. And that's what makes decks, tier 1 decks, even tier 0 decks so good is that they can run the best cards of the game. They just run two champions and the deck sort of works. Because they don't rely on each other to win the game. And so when I look at ASO, the way the deck is structured is that you see all revolves around ASO. But then there are many ways you can run ASO deck, you can run it in the RAM style, you can run it in Leona, Lux, Diana, Swain, all kind of different style. So the main problem with how Riot is looking at ASO now is that the only way in which they want the game or the decks to be played is one way, which is just run ASO all the way. So if they were to just hit ASO right, it means that all these various archetypes will sort of die off, which is a structured deck approach. Meaning that you kill one card area every, every other deck just doesn't seem to work. And so, the way ASO is being nerfed, it is not ideal, it reminds me of the structured, structured deck era in Yu-Gi-Oh where you just hit one card and the, and the entire concept doesn't work. Because when you see ASO decks like Lux, the Ram, the whatever, the Leona, Diana, the deck works because ASO is the afterthought, it's the late game finisher. But then if they were to concentrate everything into just nerfing one card, it makes every other deck concepts irrelevant. And so I guess this is more of a design design perspective. They're, they're thinking about the game in the long term. And if they think about it long term, I say it's a good nerf. But you're talking about short term about creativity and stuff. The only the thing about ASO is that it has created so many concepts because of its dynamic ability to create so many different strategies. And before all these strategies take form, and maybe even mutate and become an even stronger version without ASO, they're trying to limit the creativity and the overall line structure of how ASO works. So this nerf is sort of to not make the meta too diverse, they're trying to keep it within the same box. And then that's my two cents regarding the ASO nerf. When I think about it long term, it is pretty good to hit it now before it mutates and become the same problem that every other overpowered card Okay, so let me address whether ASO is overpowered Let me just tell you, no, it's not In fact, if I were to rate among the champions It's definitely in the middle, not even at the top It's not nowhere near the top Because when you look at the top 5 champions The first thing that comes to mind, Ezreal Second that comes to mind, Swain Third that comes to mind, Twister Fate Fourth that comes to mind, right now is Truando man Trondo is damn strong And the fifth one, if you ask me Johan, what do you think is the top 5 or the 5th champion that you put in? Awesome Hazelnuts, what do you think about it? You know, I still don't call myself Awesome Hazelnuts anymore because I call myself Johan, which is my real name for this podcast. What do I think of the top 5? Let me just say it again. Ezreal, Swain, Twister Fate, Trundle. Last one. Let me think what's the last one. Hmm. Let me give me give me 5 seconds to think about it. Guess what? It's very predictable. You guys know it. It's not other than Joani. And here you go. Top 5 champions. Sojourney is just too strong, it's the strongest 6 drop, it can do everything, vulnerable, freeze, the list goes on and on. And look at that, ASOL is not even in the top 5. And so, we have come to the end of today's episode. I hope all of you enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about the new patch 1.10, and even what to expect during 1.11, where they start to address ASOL and even Hush. Hush has been a long time coming, it is something that should be addressed or should never exist in the first place. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and on your social media pages if you enjoyed it. You can follow me on Spotify, Apple, even Google because all my my podcasts are available on all these platforms. Do subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts if you're an Apple iOS user. You can also contact me via Twitter, Discord and emails. Email, sorry. All the links are in the description box that comes together with this episode. Thank you. And, by the way, all the best to all of you who are participating in the Ascent of Targon tournament. By the time this episode goes goes live, I think that the North American qualifier, the, not North American qualifier, sorry, the Eurasian qualifiers have ended, the ones that the Southeast Asia players and the European players will be playing. North American have probably not ended by then. Yeah, so all the best to you guys who will be participating. I will not be because I have things planned during the weekend, and I usually sleep very early, so... That's all the pictures for me. And I'll see... Thank you once again. And I'll see all of you next week. Same time, same place. And that's game.